0: Hello and welcome into another episode of the Lions Lair. I am your host, John Sauber. Joining me is Kyle J. Andrews. Kyle, how's it going?
1: I'm doing well. I'm just, you know, it's almost the end of the season. It seems like, you know, things didn't necessarily go the way that we planned. I guess at the beginning of the season, we both said something totally different than I guess what their current record is. We never, I mean, neither one of us, I had them at four losses, I don't think. And it's a possibility that there may be more. But, um, you know, I have, right now they're six and four. Uh, and um, it's, it's just a different situation than we expected.
0: Yeah, and one that is um, probably not getting any better, right? Like, I mean, they, they should win this week. But the last time I declared a victory in the middle of the week, they lost Illinois, so I'm going to refrain from doing that. Um, but this is this is a season that has gone in a direction that I don't think anyone anticipated seven and fives it's most likely outcome um, I actually projected Penn State to win so did you over Michigan this past week they did not um you know they they're not good offensively right now right like they're it's it, this is beyond um, oh they're struggling at times they don't hit it on certain big plays it's they're not good offensively um and, and I think that's the place to start because anytime you have fourth and goal the two-yard line, and you want to be aggressive, and you choose to be aggressive, by putting the ball in your kicker's hands uh, and asking him to make a play, I think it says a lot. Uh, It says a lot about a lot of things. Um, It says you don't trust your offense enough to get those two yards, as James Franklin reiterated, mind you, post-game, that... They don't. They don't trust the offense to be able to pick up those two yards because they've they've had their struggles there, as he put it. He didn't say they don't trust them, but he he did say they've had their struggles there, which is intimating the same. Um, and and again, you run a you run a play where Rafael Checa is tossing the ball to Jordan Stout, who has completed a pass earlier in the game. But again, you're running the ball well with Kevon Lee. Uh, we may as well start here with with the offense and these decisions, and you decide to go to a trick play in that situation. I I have no issue with being aggressive there. I think it's the right decision. Michigan finished favored. They are the better team. Sometimes you got to pull out all the stops in those situations, and I'm I'm good with doing that, being as aggressive as possible. What I'm not okay with is making the decision to give your kicker the ball. Uh, it's putting your team in a bad position. It's not putting your your guys in a position to succeed, and I think it's failing the guys you put at that put out there on the field.
1: Yeah, and I don't disagree with that. I think you. I mean, you have, to power, you have to overpower the guy in front of you, in my opinion. I mean, if you're, if you're two yards out, even if you went to the Warren Cat um, offense, as, uh, as they call it, um, I think that that works even better than, than whatever this is. I mean, even if you did that, you pin them on possibly the one or the two, or if you lose a couple y- yards, you lose a couple yards. But that debacle that happened right there, That's unacceptable. And that's straight coaching. That's not a it's not a player thing. That's not anything else. That's coaching. Coaching has to be better in that situation. You have to trust your guys to pick up a couple yards. I mean, shoot, I don't understand why, you know, in a situation like that, that Kevon Lee doesn't have like some sort of wildcat package. Or, you know, someone else is or just, just hand him the ball or, yeah, or just hand him the ball straight up. I mean, if you want to do that, if you want to if you want to put in the freaking Maryland I formation where you have three backs behind the quarterback. I mean, do that anything, but whatever that was. And that was just not a great call at all. And that's that's 100 percent on coaching.
0: Yeah. And, and it's. James Franklin gets harped on a lot for the decisions he makes in games. Uh, I think a lot of times unnecessarily, but there's there's no defending that play call. Um, the, the, the upside is low there, right? Like fake field goals work when the field isn't shortened and there are longer field goals and your probability of making the field goals are lower. You know what? You've got a higher probability to succeed on the fourth down uh, by faking the field goal they don't work when you've already telegraphed that you're willing to run trick plays and when like you're asking your kicker to create like i don't even know what that call was i don't know if stout was supposed to be able to throw throw the ball to someone there i don't know if he was supposed to be able to get the edge somehow uh, against the michigan defense um but they the, the michigan defense has more reason to play safe in that situation because they're not they're not going to block a kick from in that close jordan stout doesn't need to kick the ball lower he doesn't need to um, you know, there, there's there's no rush there to that that's going to sort of get blown past the the Penn State uh, offensive line and suddenly Stout is freed up or someone's freed up. Instead, like they can sit back and just sort of meander around. And then when they see the kicker take off, they can go get him because they're all faster than him. Which is not Jordan Stout Jordan Stout's fault. He was asked to do too much in that situation, and I just think you when you ask that. When you ask your guys to succeed in a situation when you're setting them up to fail, it's it's unfair to them. Uh, and I think that's what happened in that situation. Uh, I, again, they should have gone for it. They absolutely should have. But they should have given the ball to the best player on the field that day, which was Keevon Lee, or they should have given it to the guy who's been the best player on the team all season. That's Jahan Dotson. Um, and, you know, this is – we don't have to go too far into this, but I'm so sick of hearing you need to be able to run the ball when everyone in the stadium knows you're trying to run the ball. If everyone in the stadium knows you're trying to run the ball, throw the ball. It'll catch them off guard. Like right, like that is that drives me nuts when I hear that all the time because it's it goes against like like it's this old school way of thinking. Like oh, it's third and two, fourth and two. We got to be able to run it here. I'm like or you can throw it because they're probably going to stack the box and you're going to run the ball. And it's going to be easier to throw the ball. Uh, but again, that's a deeper conversation for another day. And then the the other play to talk about here. Is another fourth and two. This one an actual fourth and two, not a fourth and goal. Uh, Penn State's last offensive play of the game when they run a slot fade. I believe it's a slot fade. Uh, Cam Sullivan Brown might have lined up on the outside there. Uh, but it was either way, it was a fade to a timing route to Cam Sullivan Brown down the field on fourth and two. Uh, this is not a knock on Cam Brown. Uh, he has been a decent player for Penn State in his, I, th- I think, five years uh, w- with the program. Uh, he is a good blocker, he's physical. There are ways he can win. A fade route does not appear to be one of them. And then post game, James Franklin says that those situations about players are not plays, and they couldn't get Jahan Dotson in because of injury, and because calling a timeout wouldn't rectify that because he went down the previous play, which is understandable. But you have other players, right? Like, like I don't know what scenario that would would make Cam Sullivan Brown the the guy that you want to go to in that situation again. Not a knock on him. That's just not how he's going to win on a football field. Uh, he's going to contribute in plenty of other areas, but that's not like running a fade to him is not one of them. And I, I, I followed up, you know, post-game I asked James what made Cam the player in that situation if it's about players and not plays. And then he turned it back to being about Dotson and saying that it was specific to Jahan Donson. To me, it's either always about players and not plays or it's always about plays and not players, right? Like you can't have it both ways. Um, and that is clearly a situation where – it is about the player because you're isolating them in a one-on-one matchup on the outside and trying to get them to ball, and you're asking him to win in that situation. He has to win for that play to work. There are no other options there. Um, so to me, that, again, was about the player, and they must have believed that Sullivan Brown was the guy to get the ball in that situation, which is curious to me. Uh, and if it if it's about—if if sort of they've crossed the threshold once they're past Dotson to, to make it about a play and not a player, then that's probably not the play to run.
1: Yeah, I mean— like that that situation, I mean, you didn't need to pick up a ton of yards either. That was that was my biggest gripe about that too. I know, you know, time wise, it wasn't a ton of time left, but you know, you still don't need to pick up a chunk of yards. I mean, it was it was a very short play that you could you could have gotten a first down. You get a you know a first, and once you get the first down, clock stops. They give you a chance to reset. Now you can push you know, in that situation. And if all you need to do is pick up a handful of yards, go get the first down. That's my that's my opinion on that. And I, I understand that, you know, you want to catch them off guard possibly and throw down, down the line, uh, throw, you know, against the sideline. But I, I'm just not – I don't understand that play call right there, especially when you didn't need that amount of yards. You just need to get that first down.
0: Yeah, and, and when I say, like – Throwing the ball when everyone expects everyone in the stadium expects you to run, it doesn't mean throwing downfield, right? You can pick up five yards if you have Parker Washington run a slant. If you have him run, if if they ran the play that Michigan won the game on, if they run mesh and get guys crossing the field underneath, they can free one of them up. Giving yourself one option on a passing play is a bad idea. Doing it with one of the guys who hasn't featured in your offense significantly since he's arrived on campus is a worse idea. Uh, I just – those those two decisions uh, were baffling to me. I, I, I don't know – you know, heat of the moment, you know, sometimes things happen and you make bad decisions and that's fine. But, you know, I, the post game for Franklin to say, especially about the fake field goal, that he would make the call again, I think is especially curious um, given that, again, they were asking their kicker to make a play in the open field in a situation where he wasn't destined to have success, I guess. Uh, but let's pivot to that, that last Michigan uh, offensive play well, not last Michigan offense play, the one that led them to taking the lead. They run mesh, uh, have two guys go underneath, crossing routes designed to run them into each other. I've seen a lot of people <laughs> upset with Daquan Hardy or, and, and Kalen King for getting lost in coverage. By my eye, what happened is the umpire was lined up somewhere he probably shouldn't have been. Um, it forced Daquan Hardy to go deeper to get around him, right? Uh, to avoid running into him, and by going deeper, he ran into Kalen King. If he goes underneath, he's still getting burned by Eric All. If he stays where he's at, he's running into the umpire and still getting burned by Eric All. Uh, and if if he goes deeper, he runs into Kalen King and still gets burned by Eric All. Like there was, it was a it was a no win situation for him. Uh, it was a bad spot to be put in. Don't really blame the defense for that. Don't really blame Hardy. Don't really blame King. Uh, just unfortunate for Penn State. A good play to call by Michigan to put those guys in conflict, um, especially for an umpire that seemed to be in the middle of the play quite a bit during the game, uh, was lined up, um, and stayed there in the middle, didn't, didn't sort of move to get out of the way of things. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I thought that was people have been calling that a blown coverage. I didn't think that was the case whatsoever.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's one thing that, they, you know, we they, they took advantage of a situation that was right there. I mean, look, that's something that happens every once in a while, you know. You can't – but also you can't blame the game on a ref, which I know you're not doing. But I know I heard rumblings of that on online, of course. Uh, you know, you hear rumblings about a lot of things online, but um,
2: – Never listen to Twitter. <laughs> at all. That's correct.
1: <laughs> at all. Um, but it just – you know, they took advantage of a situation that was at hand. If it presents themselves, look, you know what? You should have beat them you should have beat them. You know, if you if you don't make those mistakes earlier on in the game, if you take those points, now you don't have to press for, you know, a deep shot downfield. If you if you go and and I understand that Jordan Stout when it comes to field goals, kinda shaky, but you know, it seems like he's been better from deep. Um you know, and honestly, if he's right there, I mean, I I personally don't like. I wouldn't call. I wouldn't call for a field goal on fourth and from from the two. I would still go for it because you're still pinning those guys very far back in their their own territory. But I'm not calling a fake field goal. And then that you know some of the other things that happened throughout the game. It was just Michigan taking advantage of the situations that presented themselves. If Penn State's going to go and do something that. Is head-scratching, Michigan made an example out of them. If the refs do something that's head-scratching, Michigan made an example out of them. So, you know, that was just another play where Michigan took advantage of the situation and they capitalized.
0: Yeah, and and I don't think Michigan won this game because of the the officials. I think they won this game because their defense is a lot better than Penn State's offense. Um, I guess what I'm absolving in that situation is Penn State's defensive blame. Uh, they held Michigan to 21 points. Seven of those points were, were from that play where it wasn't there was really not a ton they could do. Um, and they gave the ball to the offense in really favorable situations. Arnold Epicady got a strip sack that gave Penn State the ball in range for Jordan Stout. Like, they, they were guaranteed three points, basically, as long as Stout could make the field goal because of the defense. Of course, they had to settle for the field goal because the offense couldn't move the ball. Um, and I think that's where, you know, the the blame deserves to lie for this. The offense has not kept pace with the defense this year. The defense is one of the 10 best in the country. The offense might be one of the top 50. Like, that is a vast disparity, um, and it is not a winning formula, right, when you're asking the defense to hold and hold and hold, especially against really good offenses. Uh, it's, it's unfair to expect them to be perfect every week. And, like, you talk to guys after the game, and, you know, defensive players were always saying, like, Oh, we could have done more. We could have done more. They definitely couldn't more. Could have done more, but there wasn't much more they could do. There was a lot more the offense could do, um, and the offense didn't do any of it. The one, I guess, the positive you want to take away from the offense this game is: Kevon Lee looked really good. and looks like the clear-cut starting running back for Penn State moving forward. I don't know how it could be anyone else. Um, he had success on most. He had success on most of his touches. There were uh, opportunities to get one or two yards that he turned into three or four. There were opportunities for plays to be negative, and he turned them to five or six. And there were opportunities for four or five yards that he turned into 10 or 11. Like, he was generally getting positive results for Penn State offensively, something the run game hasn't had all year. And you can argue how much of that is because Michigan was pinning its ears back and sending David Ajabo and Aiden Hutchinson at Sean Clifford as much as they could which I think might be a valid point, right? Like they were just trying to rush the passer whenever they had to, and it was sort of allowing them to run the ball a little bit. Um, but the the run game was a positive for Penn State. The passing game was another story. Sean Clifford was running for his life quite a bit. I will say the, the image that is circulating online of Sean Clifford uh, trying to throw the ball with four Michigan D-linemen is a little misleading. Uh, that play was designed to get the ball out quickly, and it is – not entirely on the linemen that that happened, but still the linemen were not having success against Michigan's defensive ends. And, you know, to their credit, they're two of the best in the country and a job on Hutchinson. But you can't let them hit your quarterback all day.
1: Yeah, I mean that's the name of the game is protecting guys up front. And if you don't protect guys up front, um, then you know, the running game goes downhill, the passing game goes downhill. And honestly, I mean, I thought I thought this was their best run blocking day um, that I can remember. Um and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, one, Kevon Lee is a I think he's the best back on the team, of course, as you said.
0: It seemed clear cut at this point yeah. too.
1: And and even throughout the season, I'm like, you know, Kevon Lee's averaging four point whatever yards per per carry. And statistically speaking, I mean, he was averaging more yards per pop than everybody else. Um, and he just seems to find holes. But I also think too, you know, when Juice Scruggs moved the center. And Bryce Efner came in at guard. I thought that the running game was way stronger. And now the passing game left a lot to be desired. But, um, you know, that running game looked a lot better with those two as a combo at center and guard. So I don't know if that had a lot to do with it. I, I mean, whatever you can tell me from that, I'm all ears because that's that's what it seemed like to me.
0: I think that they were fine with Mike Miranda still in the game. Miranda left due to injury. Uh but I think they were fine with him, and I don't, you know, they were definitely a little bit better. I don't know if it was substantial enough. I, I think what happened is really attributable to Lee, um, who wasn't getting playing time, right or wrong, because of he fumbled the ball quite a bit early in the year, and he was. This I think is probably for the better that he didn't play because of it, but he was taking negative gains and trying to turn them into massive plays and eating five or six yards uh, for a loss because of it. But I, I do think the offensive line was a little bit better with Efner in there instead of Miranda, but it seems like if Miranda's healthy, he will still be the guy. Um, I'll be curious to see how they work other guys in, right? Like the season's – I mean, Penn State would never admit this, but the season's lost at this point, right? Like you're 6-4, and four, and you have to face top-10 team in the country to close out the year on the road. You're probably losing that game. So you're hoping to be 7-5. and five. I mean, if you're not getting young guys playing time now, then when are you? Uh, that being said, you don't want to sort of – ruin things for your older guys right you still want to play your seniors you want to get them as much time as they want to be out there but the larger goals are gone they're not going to um, achieve them but I I do think you are right in that the offensive line was a little bit better with those guys I'm curious to see what that line looks like moving forward I mean we know what this year's iteration is right can't block like it's decent against the pass can't block in the run game Um, I think the rest of the way they need to be trying to figure out what they have moving forward and what next year's offensive line can look
1: like yeah, and that, that goes for, to me, I think, you know, Landon Tengwell, he gets – if he can get some time, this will be the time, especially if you can get under the skin of Rutgers really quickly and get out to a nice lead. Um, you know, even if not, I mean, put some six offensive linemen packages out there, you know. I mean, if, if you can get – Or just get, rotate more. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, that does not hurt one bit. I think if you can get those guys some playing time, some of the young guys, I mean, Olu – You know, I think he's another guy that they could throw in there. Um, But, you know, get them some playing time here and and try to get it going. Because I I think, you know, the worst thing that you can do is tell these kids, we're just, you know, this year, just watch from the sideline. I think, you know, the best way to become a better offensive lineman is by getting actual reps in game. Not, you know, practice all that other stuff. You know, it, it matters to an extent. And I think it matters for, you know, conditioning guys, but it doesn't matter until you actually step in between those lines and you're playing, you know, physical football with a big with another Big Ten opponent or any opponent for that matter. So I would get these guys some some burn if possible. Um, I mean, can't get any worse, right? right and that's kind of part of it
0: uh James Franklin said today that Tangwall should be seeing more reps uh I don't believe he can burn his redshirt anymore he should, he should be able to play in the final two games and the in the bowl game whatever that ends up being um because Penn State is bowl eligible uh the uh the redshirt won't go away I believe he's only played in one game so far this year Ulu Fashanu another guy you brought up uh would be good to get him reps um they've just got to they've got to figure out what the solution is right like I I don't know that I know what the solution is right now, but something has got to change. It's been eight years. James Franklin really hasn't hasn't had a good offensive line since uh, he's been here. So, you know, we'll see what that ends up looking like moving forward. Uh, But we will turn our attention to Rutgers um, and this week's game, this weekend's game. uh, Penn State trying to get a seventh win, trying to give seniors and, you know, guys who won't be back a, a final win in their final game at Beaver Stadium. What is... Your primary focus for this game this weekend.
1: I I tell people, you know, if it's something that you did great last week, follow up with it again this week. And I think they ran the ball pretty solidly last week. Um, establish the run, you know, make sure that gets going. I think the defense will be totally fine. I, I'm not if I'm if I'm Penn, if I'm a Penn State fan, I'm not worried about the defense, especially you know, I re- like you got to respect Rutgers, but at the same time. You know, especially defensively, Rutgers might not score exactly. And you know that's how you have to, you have to play. The defense is allowed to play with as much arrogance as they want to. And I know that's not their mo. But you know, this Rutgers offense is just eh. Right, <laughs> you now at best they it's, don't. It's it's an don't.
0: offense that relies a lot on Noah draw who's not a good quarterback. Um, they do have a four star quarterback behind him and Gavin Wimsett who enrolled in it was either late August or early September as a high school senior. Like this was supposed to be his senior year of high school. He enrolled a year early. Uh and he's gotten a couple reps the last two weeks, but I think you're right. I think this offense is generally pretty bad. Uh and Penn State's defense should be
1: able to do whatever it wants. Yeah. And they just have to just be as physical as possible, you know. I think the defense will definitely oblige to that. I think the offense, you know, like the O-line, they have to play. I mean, we've said this every week. They have to play pissed off. But, you know, is it is it these guys that are already in there and this current iteration of guys or is it, you know, those young dudes? And I think at this point, you know, let's try out some of the young guys and see what they can give you because at this point, like you said, it's a lost season and I think the best that you're going to be able to play for most likely in my opinion if you go seven and five is a Bronx pinstripe bowl which is you know
0: when they're staring in the face at seven and five too, that's not like a worst case scenario that's yeah. like a most likely outcome
1: yeah and and it could I mean if you if you I mean we thought they were going to be Illinois too so like you know they could be six and six <laughs> you know I, I, mean, I don't want
0: to do it again but I'm, I'm so close to just saying they're not going to be six and
2: six
1: yeah, I'm not. I'm never gonna count anything out after that Illinois game. I mean, we had never seen a a nine and a nine overtime game, so I'm warming
2: up my Twitter fingers. Yeah, let's not do that.
1: Uh, so I don't. I don't know, man. I I mean, like you got to – Yes, I think the most likely outcome is that they won, but I don't think that's you know that's not set in stone.
0: Nothing is guaranteed with this team. Without how no. bad its offense is, no, it's going to rely on the defense score. That being said, Rutgers offense is not good. Penn State's defense is good. It's going to be difficult for Rutgers to score in this game. Um, Offensively for Penn State, uh, they, I think to their benefit, should have a pretty easy answer. They should be trying to get Jahan Dotson lined up against Trey Avery as much as possible. Avery is one of uh, Rutgers' starting cornerbacks who has been generally bad this year, has given up a ton of big plays, has given up a ton of receptions, has given up a ton of yards, has given up a ton of touchdowns. Mike Yurisic should be trying, and I'm sure he is, and should be trying to do whatever he can to get Dotson lined up across from Avery because that's a matchup that Dotson will win, right? Like it is not a, um, oh, you know, Avery might get him once in a while. No, this is like Jahan Dotson could have another 242-yard game if he gets to face Avery the entire time. Now that has to happen first, um, and it probably won't because – I assume Rutgers will not want to put Avery across from Dotson all that much, but the point stands. Like, they have a way to explode offensively this game. They just have to take advantage of it.
1: Yeah, and you got to punch them in the mouth immediately. I, I need to see from them just, you know, Jahan Dotson. Sean Clifford needs to have uh, uh, the same game that he had, you know, early on in the season where I think, what was it, the Villanova game where he threw for the most yards in his, in his career, if I'm not mistaken um i mean that game didn't look great when we saw it with the eye test but i mean look if you're gonna have a game like that where you just chuck the ball deep as much as you possibly can this is the game you know you just launch it downfield you get Parker Washington involved you get Jahan Dotson involved you get the tight ends involved you get the running backs out of the backfield. field John Lovett make up for it he can make up for what he did if he plays. Some a, bad your,
0: drops from Lovett. Yeah,
1: those those drops were egregious. And, I mean, he's a senior, but, you know, that it's just like, I mean, it is what it is at this point.
0: Yeah, and you're right. They, they need to be as explosive as possible against Rutgers because they haven't been otherwise, right? Like uh, Franklin pointed out Saturday, he said it was only John Dotson eating. You know, rescinded that a little bit today and said Parker Washington, too, and that it's really just been the run game. But still, like, they need to be more explosive in the passing game. Um, and they should just be passing the ball more, frankly, if they're not going to be able to run. But if they can run like they did against Michigan, then they should be running more, right? Like, you don't need to keep banging your head against the wall. Um, definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. So, like, switch it up. If, if you can't run the ball, throw the ball. Um, This should be an opportunity for Penn State's offense to sort of have a redemption game. It should look good, you know, should play well, should be able to put up some points. Um, shouldn't look like it did against Michigan, quite frankly. Shouldn't get destroyed uh, by a dominant pass rush. They, You know, Rutgers is good defensively, but it's not Michigan, uh, to say the least. So this is a rebound opportunity. This is Penn State's chance to go out there and sort of you know, do the, okay, that game was just a fluke. This is who we are now before losing to Michigan State then in the last week of the year.
1: Yeah, and you can't you can not allow any disappointment for this game. That's just, you know, throw it out the window. Don't even think about it. Just play to your best ability, and that's something that they need to feel like they can do. Because I feel like sometimes, I mean, it, it looked like, you know, every loss that we've seen, they look like is no, like you could see the hope kind of they look lifeless yeah
0: they look like they don't care
1: yeah and that's not what you want out of this team I mean that's not what anybody like look people can say you know I've seen so many tweets over the past week especially about you know reporters and things like that and you know we don't want to watch a sucky team either (laughs) to be fair like we don't want to see that we want to yeah we will like to see an Alabama level team Every reporter will want to see that. Do you think we want to sit out there and watch, you know, bad football? We don't want to watch that. That was one of the worst games I've had to
0: watch in a while. Yeah. Well, not as bad as Penn State, Illinois, like yeah. a month ago.
2: I was going to say, since the last worst one of yeah, the season, the, five yeah. seconds ago.
0: Since their last home game. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that's sort of been it with this team. They're just – and I don't want to – you know, it's probably unfair to say that they all gave up because Jahan Dotson was crying after they lost to Iowa. Like, these guys care. No doubt in my mind. But I think once things start going bad, they let it snowball, which is supposed to be what the one and zero mentality is supposed to supposed to prevent, right? Like it just leads into the next week. You're not supposed to think about next week or the last week. It's just this week. But it always seems to be about last week or next week with this team. They've always got it sort of in their head that, that they're not thinking about the current game at hand, and it snowballs. So, um,
2: have they tried the zero
0: and one mentality yet? The or just the forcing the other team to go and on one? Is that what we're going with here?
2: Maybe. Maybe they I think need to be negative. Yeah, yeah, I think we're I think we're creating our own ideology. It's not a bad idea. Go with the
0: zero and one mentality here. Just if you go in expecting to lose, you can't possibly be
1: disappointed. Or or you go in thinking that the other team's going to go zero and one. Either way, e-
0: either way, it's probably not going to change the result because those kind of mantras don't generally have an impact on the game. They are nope. just fodder. Um, but, yeah, uh, we may as well get to prediction time. Kyle, you first. Penn State Rockers. Boy, that is an exasperated sigh, and that resonated with me.
1: Go 27-13 Penn State. Ugh. Uh, That's an ugly game, but, hey, that, I mean, this team plays ugly. I went
0: 30-13, to 13, so not too far off, I guess. I'm giving them... Another field goal because the defense will maybe put them in position to get another one. Uh, not that I trust the offense to do it, but this is a game Penn State should win by quite a bit. like this is they're better than Ruggers. they're more talented than Ruggers, but are they' gonna play better than Ruggers? I don't know. and they should win either way, but I think the how close it is will be dictated by the sort of effort level they put in um, and what it what it kinda uh, looks like from a Penn State perspective on Saturday for the last home game of the season. And with that, let's pivot to some Penn State men's basketball. And to help with that discussion, we will once again welcome on the voice that you've already heard a couple of times on this podcast, our producer, Noah Reif. Noah, take it away.
2: Well, it has been an opening week for basketball, a week and a half now for basketball. About two, a week. Yeah, two games in. Um, I guess we'll start out with our opening, or our season opener can we get a little quick recap of of what went down and kind of just a little bit of your analysis from this first game in the Shrewsbury era?
0: Yeah, I thought it went fairly well, right? They, uh, Penn State is down Greg Lee uh, right now. We don't have a timeline on his return, but he is, I would say, probably their second best player, right? Which is a pretty big loss, Um Jalen Pickett, who I would say is their best player, did not play all that well. And they still, you know, at home got the win, which is the goal, right? Like at the end of the day, you want to get the win, you want to start off the era
2: with a win. And it looked like the crowd was was pretty solid it, it for was,
0: this I was I was surprised, right? And I'm sure you were too, with you know Penn State basketball just like I do. And it, this is not the crowd that you usually get mid November, early November non conference game.
2: Against a A school, frankly, I'd never heard of before.
0: Well, Youngstown State, uh, home of Bo Pelini. I don't know if he's there anymore. Uh, Former Nebraska football coach. A little fun fact for you that I'm sure others will already know. Uh, Fake Bo Pelini, excellent Twitter account uh, as well. Uh, But, no, it was a good crowd. Uh, The players definitely fed off of them, um, and – you know, used some of that momentum to stymie some runs that, that the Penguins, which is an ex- excellent mascot. Uh, Incredible. Just remarkable stuff. The Youngstown State Penguins. Uh, but they used that crowd to stymie some of the Penguins' runs um, and to prevent them from getting going. Um, now it wasn't perfect. Uh, like I said, Pickett didn't play all that well. Harris struggled a little bit, I think. Um, you know, he, he struggled more on Monday. We'll get that in a second. Um, but... They did not all play at their best. I thought Sam Sessoms was really good at the end of the game. Um, looked like a true lead ball handler. Uh, the guy you can give the ball to, find his teammates, create uh, create passing lanes. And I thought this looked like a cohesive offense, which is not something I have seen at Penn State since
2: 2011, I would say. So it's been a minute. I, I was at that game, but, I mean, the only thing I really noticed was the crowd, the win, and a win for I mean, that's that's a big deal to, to get a win in your first game. That's that's always encouraging for fans. So take us to the not so encouraging second game.
0: Yeah. So the 81-56 loss to Massachusetts last night, rewarding Tuesday afternoon. Um, a lot went wrong for Penn State. Right. Um, there were, I think, some energy issues with which Shrewsbury touched on today at his press conference. Um, There there were issues with uh, shooting. There were issues with breaking traps and breaking presses. Any time UMass went to that three-quarter court pressure, Penn State looked uncomfortable, right? They looked like they did not want to be there. They didn't know how to get out of it. Um, And it caused some mistakes offensively for Penn State. Sessoms wasn't as good. Pickett struggled again. Harrow wasn't as good. All of that is a recipe to lose, right? Um, Yet they were still in the game at halftime, and then UMass starts hitting a bunch of shots because on a 20-4 run to start the second half. Um, and frankly, had a bunch of guys make some shots that they never make. And listen, sometimes that's basketball. Sometimes you lose games because of that. I don't think that's the sole reason Penn State lost, but it is sort of what I think sucked the energy out of the room for Penn State, right? Like they, they – it's easier to play hard when every time you get on the court, the other team isn't making uh, – a 28-foot three-pointer from a guy who doesn't take that many shots or doesn't make that many. You know, when that happens, it's, in, it's easy to lose energy after that. Um, and I think that's a little bit of what happened Monday night. Um, that being said, it is crazy to judge Penn State off of that game. Like, it is the second game in an era of a program that is rebuilding that a lot of people have projected to finish 14th in the Big Ten, which, in case you didn't know, is out of 14 teams, Uh, like this team is not supposed to be good this year. You're looking for signs that they can be good moving forward. You're looking for signs that they are contributors moving forward. Uh, And you're looking for signs, frankly, that Micah Shrewsbury is the right coach. And I think how they respond on Thursday will tell us a lot about how this team will respond in the future in the Micah Shrewsbury
2: era. Yeah. And speaking a little little bit about what we talked about last week and kind of the things that we, we needed to wait and see, them play together to kind of analyze you know how this team is working together what these what the what the offense is going to look like what the defense is going to look like are there any things now that we are two two games in that you have noticed specifically that may be surprised you i think they're
0: i guess it shouldn't be surprising uh because they don't have a ton of creators offensively but they've looked clunky right they don't look confident getting into their sets you can see that the play design is good you can see that they have an offense they want to run you don't see the confidence that the guys know that they're going to get what they want out of it, that they can make the passes they need to make. Um, my mind specifically goes to just to sort of some of the acumen that Shrewsbury has. Uh, Youngstown State ran a uh, – it looked like a one three one 3 one zone um, in the last possession of the first half against Penn State. And they're basically the, the defenders are really high up. might have been a 2-3. I can't remember exactly. But they, the defenders were really high up. Someone had to set a pick for Sam Sessoms, set a screen for him, and it was weird because the pick was sort of set behind Sessoms to clear him up, so it allowed him to snake in front of the guy and get an open lane where the, because of they were in that zone, guys pressed up, and that left John Hera open underneath, and Sessoms threw a, a little bounce pass to, to a wide-open Hera for a dunk. Those are the kind of designed sets like we just didn't see in past years, right? Like they're simple, right? There's nothing to it. It's a it's a simple ball screen and you're forcing the defense to elevate. But it's the kind of thing that previous coaching staffs didn't do, right? And it's the kind of thing that Pat Chambers didn't draw up for Penn State that frequently.
2: Is um, it is it, you know, allowing the play to develop and allowing there to be multiple deci- like multiple ways to get to the to the bucket?
0: I, I just think it's knowing how the defense is gonna react right? And drawing something based on, okay, when we do this, they're going to do, when we do X, they're going to do Y. And when they do Y, we'll have Z open because they've done Y, right? It's, it's having the foresight to know how they're going to try to defend you. And I think that is very important. And, and that's something uh, Shrewsbury said that they didn't do against UMass. They sort of didn't have the the counter punches um, because they didn't play the way Penn State thought they would. Uh, and he wanted, I asked him if, He learned anything about himself last night. If there's anything he wanted to do differently, and he said those counter punches sort of were that, right? They needed to make the adjustments better. So, listen, he's a first-time head coach at the D1 level. He will probably make mistakes this year. If Penn State gives him the room to grow, though, I think he is a very smart basketball mind and then that this will look like a very good offense when it has talent and a competent
2: one when it doesn't have as much talent. So you spent some time at practice today, obviously, after that UMass loss. What were some things that you noticed on how the team was running? And you, you said you got to spend a little extra time there, which is pretty cool to it's nice. see. Yeah, I'm
0: not going to lie. It's nice. Um, we, we saw a lot of intensity, right? Like we saw uh, that they, they were trying to make up for last night, right? They were... Um, John Harris had as much in his availability today that they didn't have the energy last night, and he wanted them to respond with energy. You can't let last night's loss affect today's practice, and we saw a lot of energy. (laughs) Just... want to know. Want to know mentality? You you, you will never escape me. Um, But no, I do think that when you phrase it without sticking a saying to it, like, it makes sense, right? Like, not letting... The way you played impact the way you act moving forward, and it seemed like in practice they were engaged. They were, um, they were ready to get, uh, ready to get rolling towards St. Francis Brooklyn on Thursday, right? And not be so focused on what happened against UMass when Trent Buttrick, a former teammate for a lot of these guys, scored 19 points, hit three threes had three steals I believe Uh, I think he had five assists as well nine rebounds don't quote me on those last two stats uh, somewhere around there Um, and looked good Uh, and Hera struggled to to guard him because Hera's not great at getting out on the perimeter UMass five out offense wants all five guys out there switch one through four defensively and let the five hang back Uh, and Hera struggled with that when he was trying to defend in space and them not switching off a of hair generally worked offensively so i i think he especially was ready to come out with some fire and some energy and and you know practice hard today
2: looking forward to our next game uh, who are we playing what are we looking at and uh, what are some kind of keys that you have to that game so st francis
0: brooklyn on thursday i can rest assured i have not watched a second of st francis brooklyn <laughs> and the 40 minutes that i watch on thursday will be the last 40 um <laughs> That's a game Penn State should win uh, going away. They played Wisconsin earlier this year. Wisconsin beat them uh, either by 13 or 23, uh, and they're not that good. Penn State should win that game. It should be a nice rebound game for them. Good win at home. Uh, following that, Cornell. I haven't looked too deeply at at Cornell uh, just yet, but, you know, at Ivy League school, where they tend to be tough opponents. uh then they have the Emerald Coast games coming up uh, this Thursday. I think is technically an Emerald Coast classic game, but it's a campus site game. But they have that coming up against LSU, Wake Forest, and Oregon State are or the three other teams in it. Um, you know, so we'll see how they. Those aren't true road games, but they are neutral sites, and we'll see how they react. But I would think Penn State should be three and one going into those games. Not a guarantee. This is a team of new guys who don't know each other that well, with a new coaching staff and a new system, and they're still adjusting. And it's still early, but they should be heading into the Emerald Coast Classic, the, the on-site Emerald Coast Classic games at 3-1. And,
2: and And something that I wanted to ask last week that I just completely blanked on, you know, we talked a little bit about what games are going to be exciting, but how this schedule is laid out, does it, you know, people obviously, like you're saying, are projecting that this team is going to be 14th out of 14. Does this preseason, you know, set this team up to learn how each other is playing, and actually gel them together so that they can, you know, maybe be 13th out of 14. <laughs> like, Well, listen, I'm not saying they'll be 14th. Yeah. Nebraska's
0: pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> thirteen. but I, I also think they could reasonably be like 11th, 12th, whatever. You know what I mean? Like there's mobility there. And I think what you said is important, that they need to figure out how to play with each other. And, again, that's something Shrewsbury said today at his press conference. Uh, I I he he talked a lot about the uh getting to know each other part of it and playing together, and I asked him like, is there any way to speed that up, that cohesion up? or do you just kind of have to wait it out. And he like, he smiled. He's like, you just kind of have to wait it out, right? Like, there's not a whole lot you can do to make guys play together uh, better when they don't know each other that well. So I think this the the non-conference schedule is going to be a good opportunity for Penn State to get that rolling. That being said, in three weeks. Three weeks, they play Ohio State at the Bryce Jordan Center. So those games are coming quick. Later that week, they play Michigan State, uh, I believe, on the road in East Lansing. So, like, this is not – yeah, they they don't have a ton of time. Right. uh, Right. Now they will go back to some non-con stuff after that. Uh, So maybe Michigan State and Ohio State aren't going to be the best indicators. January is probably more likely to be a better indicator. But they really need to take advantage of this time to learn each other and learn the system and learn how they want to be and what they want to be as a college basketball team because it's coming, and the Big Ten is good. Uh, It's not as good as it usually is, but guess what? It's still pretty good, uh, and it's still going to be a tough schedule for Penn State to face when it doesn't have the, you know, it it doesn't have the experience together, the talent to to match up against the Purdue's of the world.
2: You know, something that, kind of struck me when you said that the team is going into these practices practicing really hard and kind of leaving behind the last game do you think that they understand these players understand where they're at and that this is a rebuild and that like we are here to not have fun but like we understand where we're at and does that kind of play into the way that these guys play like making it easier to leave that last game behind
0: I actually think it's probably the opposite. I think they're probably adding pressure to themselves because a lot of them are in their last year, right? Greg Lee's not playing college basketball after this year. John Hare's not playing college basketball after this year. Um, you know, Jaheim Cornwall's not playing basketball after this year. Like, these guys came here to win. They want to win. This is their last chance to win. Um, and, you know, maybe being in the last year makes you play a little more carefree because, like, you can sort of just let it all hang out. You don't need to, to worry about anything else. Like, you can, you just know, like, you're giving it all in this one final go. But... Um, but I don't think that they are they don't care about the rebuild, right? like they they may know that this program's rebuilding, but they didn't come here to be a part of the rebuild. They came here to win. and I think that's why Shrewsbury brought in a lot of those veteran guys because he wants guys that want to come in and win right away and that teaches the younger guys and shows them how they have to play to get it uh, moving forward. So yeah, I, you know they. I don't want to say they don't know where they're at as a team, but I think they probably either ignore it or don't feel that way. Like they probably feel like they can win a lot of games, and who knows, maybe they can. But that'll do it for this week's episode of the Lions Lair. You can find all of the writing uh, you need from Penn State football, Penn State men's basketball at centerdaily.com. Subscribe to the Center Daily Times at centerdaily.com/sports podcast. Find Kyle and I on Twitter and our writing uh, on, where we post on Twitter at, at KyleJAndrews underscore and at John Sauber. Find Noah on Twitter where he posts his excellent photography at, at Noah Reif, R-I-F-F-E. Thank you for tuning in and have a great day.